It's always good to be back after a few weeks off, and uh, this morning we're going to read from Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, I'm using this as kind of a launching pad. I'll explain why in just a little bit, but this is Proverbs chapter 1, first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's one verse in there that I'm most concerned with this morning that I'm going to focus on. It's verse 5 that says, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, thank you for this particular day that we've gathered here together. Thank you for everyone who's in the room and for those who are joining us online. We come together as, as one church, one gathering of people who are all at different stages of our growth and development spiritually, but our common bond is our faith in Jesus through all the different life experiences that we carry, we have been drawn to Him. Some of us when we were very young, some were, we were in the middle of life, some who were older in life. And we find that in Jesus, we find the presence of the living God. We find the embodiment of grace and forgiveness and true righteousness. And I pray that you would continue your work with, it, with each of us, that you would make us more like Jesus, that you would transform our character, that you would transform our minds and our thinking, that you would transform the, the way that we feel, that we would, we would act and respond more like Him, not out of guilt, not of, out of obligation, but out of the sheer joy of knowing that your Spirit is at work, making us into the people that you always have wanted us to be little by little. And so, Lord, we know that this morning is important because this is part of that process, part of how we look back and remember, part of how we continue to learn for today and for tomorrow, and part of how we regain vision for how we will walk in the future. We continue to lift up those who have been struggling, who have been sick, or who are recovering in our midst. I, I think of Chris's mom, Doris, who's landed in the hospital again. Think of Frank, who just got out of the hospital, to be with us here today. Think of Margie, who's been trying to regain strength little by little for months now, and we ask that you will grant each of them the measure of what they need. And Lord, you know that throughout this congregation there are others who, who are crying out for your help in one way or another, for physical strength and help, for, for financial help, for a new job, for an opportunity to somehow make the most of uh, the situation of where they are for students who are beginning a new year in school and maybe afraid of what's coming and a little bit overwhelmed, for college students who have taken on the next challenge and it looks like a mountain before them. But Lord, we know that you can help each one of us conquer whatever the next challenge is. And so we ask for your help, for your wisdom, 
for your guidance in all these things and that you will increase our faith as we go forward into the next day and into the next week and until we see each other again. Thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for the collection of our stories and what they mean to each other and, and how we help each other. Thank you for the mission that you have given us in trying to reach our friends who have been outside of church and apart from Jesus and to introduce them to the grace that we found. Like beggars who found food, we're longing to show others where we have found this tremendous grace in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would guide us this morning. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Author and radio host Tom Bodette once noted the difference between school and life. He says, in school, you're given a lesson, and then after the lesson, you're given a test. But life doesn't work like that. In life, you're given a test, and every test teaches you the next lesson. Well, on a Sunday on Labor Day weekend, 32 years ago, North River Community Church launched with our very first Sunday service. It was held in a schoolroom in the old Pembroke Community Center. We'd hoped to rent the gym in that complex, but there was a Sunday morning men's basketball group that had been playing there for years, and they were more important to the town than we were. So we took the largest classroom and optimistically filled it with chairs. Those of few of you who were there back then may remember that there was a door in the back of that room that opened up to the gym. And if I prayed and had a gap in the prayers that went too long where we were leaving a moment of silence, you heard words that really weren't church words coming through from the basketball guys. That was our humble beginning back in those days. Our kids program met in a daycare facility, a daycare facility that was in that same complex. There was a lady named Janet Osborne who was the director of that daycare and she heard that we were starting a new church and so she volunteered to let us use her daycare rooms for free. Can you imagine that happening today? We had no advertising, no, only word of mouth invitations and the amazing thing was that 75 people showed up that first Sunday on a sleepy Labor Day Sunday like this one. Some of them were family members and friends who just wanted to be there on the first day, but they were committed to other churches, and so they went back to those churches they were involved in on the next week. The most amazing thing to me was on the second Sunday that we gathered, 50 of those 75 came back, and that became the core of what became North River Church. Now, much has come from that humble start, and so this morning, I'd like to look back for a few minutes and share some lessons that we have learned along the way. I'm calling this message, Lessons That Stick. At least they do for me. Lessons that still, uh, over time, grant us guidance as we look toward the future and move into it. So I want to say good morning. And welcome to North River Church. Welcome back if you've been away for a while. And, and welcome if you've been watching online or if you're watching this right now. We're glad that you're here in the midst of all of the changes that we've had, we are one church wherever we, we have gathered this morning. It feels great for Sue and me to be back after a few weeks of vacation time, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to connect with a number of people around the country. This week, I was able to talk with Bob and Ruth Phobes, who moved down to Florida three years ago, and Bob told me that every Sunday after they go to the church that they've been in, they check back in and they watch North River's service. So, hey, Bob and Ruth, we miss you, and it's good to know that you're watching some, somewhere today down in Florida, and uh, we're praying for you as well. 
Our online service has become North River's front door over the last 18 months. I've met several people who started with our online services, and then they took the next step by eventually coming here on a Sunday morning and walking into the room for the first time. So let me welcome any of you who may be checking us out online. You're doing something that's really important, and we're glad that you're taking advantage of this opportunity. Our hope is that you will take the next step eventually and that you will join us in person when you feel right and when the, the moment is ready. And we know that there are some who are watching from home because they don't feel safe. And we just want you to know we love you and we miss you and we value you and we trust your decisions as well. But this is one thing that I know, that if you take that next step, whether you are in this room or whether you're watching from home, we still believe that Jesus Christ can radically change the entire trajectory of your life if you walk with him in faith. And you will see over time that he brings changes that will warm up your life, that will brighten your life, that will change your life from the inside out. He can transform your pain into purpose. He can replace heartbreak with hope. He can take the mess that your life has become and not only bring healing for you, but he can turn that messy situation into a platform for ministry as you share with other people how he has healed your brokenness and how you can relate to others who are in the same place where you started. All of that is reflected in North River's vision statement. North River's vision statement, if we can throw that up on the screen right now, is this. Would you mind reading it with me? People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. That's who we are. We are people who needed to be changed and who are continually being changed as we encounter His grace and love and truth. And as we do that, we begin to change scenarios around us, around the South Shore. Oh, Lord God, change us with your love and grace. And while bringing about godly changes in us, in the right time, change every part of this world too, in Jesus' name. Here's the big idea that I want to share for you this morning. I want to get this right out up front. God blesses people and churches that learn, love, and live out our faith. It's that simple. God blesses people and churches that learn, love, and live out our faith. I'd like to share with you four lessons that are stuck in my mind as I think about this 32nd anniversary of our church's launching. Here's the first one. Wise people never stop learning. So we read these first seven verses of Proverbs 1, and it's verse 5 that I'm most concerned with this morning. Verse 5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Notice what Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1, verse 5. Solomon was considered to be the wisest man in the world. He wrote most of the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, two of the Psalms, and the book of Ecclesiastes. He built Jerusalem's temple, and kings from around the world came to listen to his wise decisions as he led Israel to its zenith of greatness. And he's the one who says... Let the wise listen and add to their learning. With this statement, he does not address those who lack wisdom, telling them to listen and gain learning. It's James who tells us that in the New Testament. He tells us something important for people who are wise or who consider themselves to be wise or who want to be wise. He says, wise people listen. And wise people continually add to their learning. This is telling us that 
People who are wise can never learn enough. They never stop learning. They are inquisitive. They are hungry to add knowledge. They are hungry to add learning, wisdom, and guidance into their lives. We should notice the flip side of this statement too. Those who are not wise do not practice the habit of listening. They have had enough and they do not add to their learning habitually. Those who are not wise fail to be discerning and fail to seek more guidance. When we stop learning, we stop adding wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. The fact that Solomon wrote these words ought also to bring us some caution. If you think about who Solomon was, if you know the story of Solomon's life, as he got older, Solomon took his foot off the gas, got complacent, and wrecked his life. Specifically, Solomon could not control his lust, and his lust led to his spiritual demise. Polygamy was never part of God's plan, but kings like Solomon collected wives and concubines, often as political marriages, in order to create alliances with other kings and kingdoms. It was very unlikely that two nations would go to war if one king married the daughter of another king's family. There were laws, though, in the Old Testament that were meant to guide Israel's kings, and they specifically forbade the king from marrying foreign women. Now, it wasn't that uh, Israel didn't respect other nations. The concern was more spiritual, that if the king would marry a woman who worshipped the idols of the nations around them, then maybe over the time that king would end up worshiping, worshiping the idols too, the other gods. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. The key result was that the nation of Israel became torn in two. It was never fully put back together after Solomon's reign. In short, even Solomon ignored his own advice. He stopped taking guidance from God. So the message is that wise people never stop learning. And we can learn even from the failed example of Solomon who wrote these words for us in Proverbs 1. How do we keep learning? There are a number of ways that we can keep learning this fall. So as we're beginning to ramp up towards the re-entry into the school year, think of some of these opportunities. Join a small group Bible study. If you've been sitting on the fence, I want you to know that participating with a group accelerates the way that you learn. Why? Wise people never stop learning. This is one of those vehicles that puts us in the habit of learning with other people. Renew your commitment to our Sunday worship times together, not out of guilt, not out of fear, but out of the desire to keep learning the ways of God. Think of, of Bill Belichick's mantra. Today's the, the kickoff for the Patriots season, and his mantra is, no days off, right? I'd like to be Belichick and say, no Sundays off. We, we want to be wise people who are continually learning. Wise Christians don't just casually take Sundays off. Yeah, there's a day when you can't come. I get it. But till we die, our goal is to keep learning that we will become more like Jesus, that we will understand more of His wisdom and grace. Some of the tools that we have that are rolling out this fall, one of them is uh, TLFA, the Leadership Formation Adventure. And maybe if you haven't been challenged in a while, it's time to join this group as Todd and others launch that this fall and to be a part of that. Uh, maybe another way that you could think about that is we just came off the leadership summit that happened in early August, and, and go ahead and get on the website and sign up for a seat for next year and be a part of Leadership Summit 22. Our thoughts through uh, the way our ministry is structured is reach, grow, 
and go. And so reach out and discover Jesus. Grow in the knowledge and love of God. Go and serve the world. One of the fastest ways that you can do that is to sign up out in the lobby this morning as we go two Sundays, or next Sunday rather, and we, we meet here at, at 10 o'clock for worship, but then we go out and we serve for the rest of the day and come back and tell the stories and celebrate with a massive cookout here later in the afternoon. I hope you do that. It's a part of our mission. It's a part of our DNA of who we are, that we aren't just people who gather in the, the confines of these four walls. We are people who want to impact the community around us with the grace of God that is changing us. So the first lesson that sticks is wise people never stop learning. All right, if you're going to check out uh, mentally right now, that would be a good one to just hold on to right there and say, wise people never stop learning. And that's the one piece I'm going to hold on to. But I've got more for you, some of these lessons that stick. Here's the second one. God's love changes everything. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible come from John chapter 3, two verses in particular, John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. These are two of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Why? Because they sum up the entire message of the Bible in two sentences. They describe for us the heart of God, the mission of Jesus, and the hope for the entire world. As messed up as it is, we are told here in John's gospel that God loves this world and everyone in it. Sometimes we who are longtime Christians need to re be reminded of this. There's so much that is broken. There is so much that is unjust. There is so much that is ungodly in our world that our outlook can become negative. It is worth noting that several times the Bible tells us that God is compassionate and slow to anger. The Old Testament Hebrew word for compassion literally means that God is long-suffering. In other words, He waits a long, long time before He gets angry over the brokenness of our world. And we should model that. I should model that. You should model that. He knows that people often reject him and his ways, but he takes the long view. Aren't you glad he does? John, one of the original disciples, wrote these words. John was so overcome by his own experience of Jesus' love that it changed his self-perception. When you read John's gospel, you find a few times where he describes himself simply as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know what that means? John had never encountered this kind of love before. It is so important that we don't just hear this and banish this thought to the ancient past. You and I can experience the love of God in Jesus so profoundly that it changes the way that we see ourselves, that it changes the way we look at the purpose for our lives, that it changes the way that we see other people. The rest of his life, John thought of himself simply as the one whom Jesus loved. He wasn't saying that Jesus didn't love other people equally or passionately or fully, but he was describing his own experience that the love of Jesus was so profound that that's the way he described himself for the rest of his life. I was loved by Jesus. Can you say something with me? I am loved by Jesus. Would you just say that out loud with me? I am loved by Jesus. Now say it like you feel it. What would that sound like? 
I am loved by Jesus. That's the spirit of John that he writes this gospel with. And he's the one who tells us that God so loved the entire world. I have to tell you, there are times when I need to have that spirit renewed in my thinking because I get angry at this world sometimes. I get discouraged by the brokenness that I see in this world. I need to be reminded that God so loved the world that he suspended his judgment and he brought Jesus into the mess in order to transform a small band of people whose experience with the love of Jesus would become so profound that it would begin to radiate outward and continue to change the world one person at a time. And that's the way our God works. He changes the world one person at a time. By the way, that's the, way, uh, that's the reason why our vision statement ends I'm talking about the South Shore and beyond. Because God changes the world one person at a time. And right now, the South Shore seems pretty big to all of us if this one church could impact the South Shore. But the truth is God wants to radiate that far beyond the South Shore. He wants to fill the world with people who have been changed like John by the love of Jesus. And that's the mission that we embrace. But notice what else John does here. John pairs the concept of God's love and this thought of no condemnation when he describes the mission of Jesus. Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, there's that word, but to save the world through Him. So there are these two concepts side by side, God's love and no condemnation. God created this world and all of the people who populate it, but everyone rebels. How do we rebel? We rebel by rejecting the purposes of the Creator, by ignoring His commands and guidelines for life, by, by using things and other people for our own gratification or self-glorification. We lust, we covet, we murder, we bear false witness, and all the rest of the commands we break. And sometimes we turn created things into idols that we worship. The result is that if God's justice was delivered now, we would stand under that condemnation. The guilt that comes with that sense of condemnation is why many people naturally fear God or why they deny His existence or why they shake their fist at God or in painful, expensive ways spend years and decades running from God. It's a reality we have brought on ourselves every one of us in this world. And then the good news comes. Yet through Jesus, we discover that God still loves us despite all of that. And so His mission to the world was not to condemn, but to liberate us through His mission of love and redemption. He died to pay for the sins of everyone so that we will not perish. Do you know what it means to perish? Here's the most widely quoted verse in the Bible, and I have found that so many people don't understand this one critical aspect of it. You know what it means to perish? It means to die physically and to vanish from the world as if there's no memory that you were ever here in the first place. That's an awful reality. The Bible says that we will die unless Christ comes again first but that we will live again with the eternal life, the everlasting life that He gives us, with a, a new body, a resurrection body, with a new spirit. We were designed to live forever in the company of God, in the presence of God. So for the Christian, for the one who's alive in Christ, it means you will not perish even though you die. 
That's a cool thought. And we face death with that reality, not with fear, but with the knowledge that the, one day the end of our time will come, but we will not perish because we were designed for an eternal future with Him, and He has all kinds of surprises in plan for us and in store for us. Jesus offers a way out from this, this combination of condemnation and perishing. We receive His love by acknowledging the truth about ourselves, that we are rebels, and by putting our faith in Jesus as the Redeemer, the one who took our sins to the cross in order to take away any spiritual condemnation and to give us freedom, forgiveness, and everlasting life. When we put our faith in Jesus, we do not perish, but we begin to enjoy the foretaste of eternal life now. That's wonderful, isn't it? This is the core of our faith, that God's love changes everything. All right, here's the third lesson that sticks. It rises right out of those verses we just read in John 3, and it's flipping this around a little bit. It tells us a little bit about our message then and about our mission. Our message is about love and life, not condemnation. I read an interesting book a couple of weeks ago called Unchristian. Back in 2007, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons wrote this book. The subtitle is, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. The book began as a three-month project by David Kinnaman, who leads the Barner Research Company, which is a Christian research organization. And that three-month project turned into a three-year study because he found as he was listening to people outside the church, the project got bigger and bigger, and he invited his friend Dave, Gabe Lyons into it. And at the end of this three-year study, they focused on a group of people that they called outsiders. For whatever reason, there were people who existed outside of the Christian fellowship, outside of the church. Specifically, they had to narrow that down, and they interviewed and listened to perspectives of busters, those who were born from 1965 to 1983, and the oldest of what they called the mosaics, those who were born from 1984 to 2002. Their findings were alarming. It takes a whole book to, to work through it. But after this three-year study, they found overwhelmingly that people outside the church who are at that point in time aged about 16 to 29 in 2007 viewed Christians as being known for three things. Anybody want to guess what they are? I'm not going to put you through that. Don't worry. Here are the three. That the dominant things the church was known for were being anti-homosexual, judgmental, and hypocritical. Ultimately, they said outsiders see us as unchristian because we don't act like Jesus when we think of the people who are outside of the church. They see an incongruence between what we say and how we live, and too often they sense that those who are known as born-again Christians fail to show evidence of transformed lives while acting with a sense of judgment and superiority toward the sins of others. Ouch. That's me. That's you. That's us. And many more like us. So how do we turn that around? A couple of thoughts. The first is by focusing on loving God and loving people. This is the great commandment. This is why we go out next Sunday as part of this big event. First, we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, we love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's not like saying this is the only day that we love our neighbors, but this becomes a launching pad 
that gets all of us together in one grand demonstration of trying to go outside and show love in practical ways that are visible and measurable to our neighbors that hopefully act as a springboard for all of the other things that we do throughout the year. Personal acts of love toward your neighbor and coworkers and others, these acts are essential. Every act of kindness from your small group counteracts bad experiences from the past. So here's the challenge. Dive in and get your hands dirty next week with North River's big event. Uh, I need to sign up too. I plan to do that this morning. I've been away for three weeks, so I have a good excuse. Here's a second way we do that. Pursue personal holiness for ourselves and don't expect it from the world. Pursue personal holiness. Don't give up on it but for ourselves, but don't expect that the world is already there or will be there quickly. Perhaps you have heard, perhaps you have used, perhaps you, you have echoed a phrase that I used to hear when I was growing up in the church of my youth. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Anybody ever said that? Yep. I want you to throw it out. I want you to never say it again, and I promise that unless it's in a teaching way, I will never say it again. Here's what we should say instead. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. When we say love the sinner, hate the sin, people outside of the church don't know what we mean by that, and they think that we hate them because whatever the sinful acts that are already part of their lives, they see as part of the whole. And they can't separate themselves from whatever that activity is, no matter how widely you look at that. What we need to do increasingly is look at ourselves and say, how do I become uh, one who is more committed to the pursuit of personal holiness, to become more like Jesus, not perfectionistic, just more like Jesus, where He is shaving away uh, the rough spots in my life, the, the angry spots of my life, the parts that are incongruent with life in Christ. And how do I ask him to go to war on those things? The results are in. The world looks at us today as today's Christians and concludes, and concludes that our lives don't seem much different or much better. Too often Christians have mistaken God's grace for a license, and so we tend to mirror many of the behaviors of the, of the world around us, and people outside of the church notice that. And so holiness is not perfectionism. It is imitating and acting like Jesus in all that we say and do. Our message is about love and life, not condemnation of others. And then one more. The blueprint for impact is still Acts chapter 2. We read these words in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For years around here at North River, we have talked about seeking to become an Acts 2 church. This paragraph from Acts chapter 2 describes the explosive potential of the very first church, the first church of Jerusalem. And rather than just being a description of what happened in the past, I believe that this paragraph of Scripture 
is unveiling for us what God desires to do in every church community if we fully throw ourselves into the mystery of how God works. We cannot control what the results will be, but we can head in the same direction that that church took. If you look at it very quickly, there are four unswerving commitments that they made to four worship elements. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which meant that they taught the same things that Jesus had handed off to the apostles, the same things that we read in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And so we don't make up our, our faith or our theology as we go along. We try to adhere as closely as we possibly can to what the early church believed and then translate that to how we live it in our age. There's no substitute, in other words, for a clear biblical theological teaching. Our pastoral team works very hard to model this, and we believe from the earliest days if we can simply make the Bible clear and understandable that God begins to transform our lives with this truth. The second thing they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. Luke includes uh, a description of their radical commitment to a generous fellowship. They met needs. At times they sold possessions and even homes in order to meet the needs of somebody else. They were in and out of each other's homes. Third, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, meaning they celebrated communion, and when they did so, it brought them together with a renewed commitment to Jesus. It wasn't just a religious act. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer in their weekly services, prayer in their daily meetings that happened in the temple courts, prayer in their homes. So these four worship commitments then were joined by two community traits. There was a generous response to material needs within the congregation, within the fellowship of the church, and they had open-hearted hospitality that they welcomed each other into their homes and they shared what they had and they they had meals together and they shared stories together. And those two community traits were added to those four worship elements. And the result of that were two primary outcomes that really were directed by the Lord, that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Think of this. Here's this minority group, a very small gathering of people in, in the midst of the thousands and thousands who made up Jerusalem. And they were looked upon with favor, even though they were a minority group. Folks, today we are a minority culture if you are a Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian, because there are many people who have lip service to Jesus but aren't really following Jesus. You take it seriously, you're part of a distinct minority, but God gave them favor. That's one of my prayers that God would do for our church, that He would give us favor with the leaders of the towns around us, with the the people who are our neighbors, by virtue of the way that we live and the way that we follow Him. And then there was one last one where it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I'm just curious. We've been existing for 32 years here. How many of you found Christ through North River, would just raise a hand if you came to Christ because of the ministry of North River in your life? Wow. How many of you had some kind of renewal where you'd walked away from church and you came back to a church experience and, and you're reawakening a lot more through North River? See, this is what God does. He adds to our number daily. This morning as we were having our prayer before the service with the worship team and all the tech team folks and the pastoral team, 
Dave Bailey shared something that was just profound this morning. He was leading that gathering, and he talked about how it's very easy for the camera people and the tech team and others to just kind of go through the motions or the band and to think they're always just another Sunday. But he said, I get invited to be part of a worship team down in Maryland from a friend. And on one of those particular mornings in 1990, 1995, as a result of being a part of the worship team and playing keyboards, he gave his life to Christ in the midst of the worship service as one of the musical team members. God transforms people as we go about the kinds of things that we do because His grace gets in. And my hope is that His grace gets into somebody's heart here this morning in a way that they'll look back and say, September 5th, 2021, in the midst of a pandemic, was a day that I really understood in a way that I never had before, how much God loves me, how much Jesus loves me, I am the person who Jesus loved. And maybe that'll be you. And I hope there'll be many. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that there are so many lessons that stick. And I pray that this uh, overall lesson of your tremendous love for people and your patience in the midst of a broken world, would transform us into being the same kind of people that we would be patient with those around us, but we would be so transformed by your love that we've got to share where we found that nugget of truth, where we found that grace that overwhelms, and that we would have a passion for sharing that with others. I pray that you would allow our neighbors and our friends in the midst of our broken world to see your love shining out through us we know that it's broken. We know that there are many parts that are not right in this world. But thank you for your long-suffering nature that allows us time, time to live fully, time to shine your grace, time to grow in grace. Lord, make this a season of great learning for us as we continue to walk with Jesus, as we continue to see you shape and reshape our lives make us more like him. Lord, hear the person who may be saying, today, Lord, let your grace come into my life. Let me have that new start. I will turn over leadership to my, of my life to you. Forgive me for all my rebellions. I know they're true. But shower me with your love as I put my faith and trust in you. And I will start taking baby steps to walk with you. Thank you for this congregation that will help me do that. In Jesus' name, amen.